Let's pray. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts join together. Lead us closer to you. And in your name and word we trust. Amen. So by both Isaiah and Mark, the passages uh, that we heard today, were both written in times of a big social change when the political and religious institutions of their times uh, were struggling to create a compelling order and vision of life that made for prosperity and fulfillment for everyone. Uh, Isaiah and Mark both, in this time of uncertainty, brought a prophetic word asking people to continue to seek and to trust that God was creative and would do a new thing. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him, he's near. Trust God with thoughts and our ways and God's creative word will be fruitful. God will make the conditions that make God's plans take root and grow and bring prosperity and joy back to the people. These uh, words are uh, chosen because we're starting a sermon series today um, based on a book by Diana Butler Bass and it's called uh, Christianity Beyond Religion? After Religion, religion, thanks. Christianity After Religion. And um, in this book, uh, Diana Butler Bass, who is a good modern observer of all things religious, particularly in the United States, uh, says that we are also living in a time in which there's a lot of social change, disrest, uh, discontent, and some of the, and religious decline, so that some of the institutions at, that we have uh, formerly had good reason to trust that have helped us live out the will of God and understand how to live our, indi- our lives individually and corporately are uh, no longer delivering a message or the institutions that help promote a way of life that brings people together and helps them live in a compelling way of God's vision for life. And uh, so we're looking at this book because on down the road, there's going to be uh, some, some ways that she helps us pay attention to different ways of thinking about believing and behaving and belonging uh, for a new emerging church, a church for a new day that will be attractive to people and will call out their best loyalties. Now I have to confess to you, and, and so John gets to do those parts, and today I get to do the part that's talking about the decline. I confess to you, I did really not, really did not want to do this this part of the book. I I, I felt like, oh, there's no good news here. 
I have to do the bad news. Uh, but events of this week uh, helped me understand and tune into these scriptures differently. And I'm, I'm going to do my best. Um, so many of you know that uh, my mother died this week after a long period of decline from Alzheimer's. And um, thank you for your nice messages on Facebook and your well wishes. It's been very sweet. Um, my mother, uh, I did not especially want to do this decline message this week because as I looked uh, back on my mother's life and had an opportunity to reflect, my mother uh, was a good example of how the church worked well. My mother was a, a woman who came to faith as a young person because of her church youth group, and she uh, believed in God just with wholehearted commitment, and she followed what she believed were the teachings of the church of doing what Jesus would do and lived it out so faithfully and really put herself at great, um, great discomfort oftentimes and, and stretching to be able to reach out to people that she believed had been overlooked oftentimes, but who God loved. And she brought her whole church kind of along with her in that. And they had a wonderful, supportive community of disciples. And so I'm, I'm thinking, why would I want to talk about decline when I have all of that to celebrate? Um, and, but I looked, and as the family was coming together, my mom and dad had six children, 16 grandchildren, and now to this point, four great-grandchildren. Uh, but as we got together and I started thinking about this wonderful congruency of believing and behaving and, and belonging to a church that really helped them live out the kingdom of God. All of my brothers and sisters and I, although we were, we've all kind of gone in different ways in terms of denominations, all participants and faithful Christians in our congregations, some with different leadership, but really trying to live it out. But as I looked at the grandchildren, I realized there was a lot less sense of compelling vision of the church for the grandchildren. At least we can assess that of the ones who are like 20 and up who can make their own decisions. And I thought, maybe, maybe I need to pay attention to what the book is talking about. Because maybe we really do need to be able to think and open ourselves to the possibility that things about the church, the institution, the way we're delivering the message, the forms we invite people to take in it, maybe they are not creating a compelling vision for young people today. And don't I want them to have the blessing of what my mother and father and I have experienced. So that got my attention. So taken that we are living in a time, uh, and, and she goes into detail about some of the reasons why there's a kind of decline uh, 
of, of, you know, a sense of meaningfulness of the church, of the institution. So things like 9-11, which made people think about religious extremism and wonder if a religious, if really religious people were capable of determining whether or not uh, they were acting well on behalf of God or, or if they were acting in destructive ways on behalf of God. Uh, she talks about the effects of the clerical uh, sex abuse of children and the institutional self-protectiveness that uh, went along with that. And she talks about uh, the way people have looked at the church's inability to uh, change and, and overcome bigotry as it's been dealing with LGBT issues. And she talked also about just the effect of, of uh, the rise of kind of a, a very um, negative uh, joining of politics and religion, both on religious right and religious left. And so she said there are some contributing factors to this kind of general decline. Now, if we want to look at this from uh, the perspective of what Isaiah has to offer us, I think that we can get just a few things. I, I, I'm not looking to these prophets to give us an answer at this point about what needs to change. I'm, I'm taking it for granted that we are in a time of change, and I'm asking them to give me some advice on how do we behave how do we think and what do we hope for in times in which we're in a period of decline and it seems like God's spirit may be doing something new? So in Isaiah, uh, which has this wonderful invitation to seek the Lord, I, I backed up a little bit because the passage starts in, in, in really in the beginning of chapter 55 and it's got this wonderful kind of lead in into the invitation and it says, you know, hey, all of you who are spiritually hungry and thirsty, I'm inviting you to come and, and find bread and, and milk that really satisfy your hunger and your thirst. Uh, and then it asks this poignant question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, go find the good stuff. So uh, part of what I take from this is that uh, the prophet is saying, you know what? You keep going back to things, asking them to give you satisfaction. And maybe there are things that used to give you satisfaction, but they don't any longer. But you keep going back and trying to get them to, to do what's needed. And I... I uh, take from that that sometimes it's really hard to let go of things that used to work so that we can embrace and start looking for being open to what is new and authentic and real, where God's spirit is moving now. And um, one of the great things about being a minister and one of the difficult things about being a minister is that as we read the scriptures, we're also reading our lives, and often they intersect. And um, this week, 
Um, I'm my mother's power of attorney, durable medical power of attorney. And my mother, who's been in a long, slow period of very bad Alzheimer's decline, um, which has gotten even worse in the last few weeks, um, she broke her femur, and I had to decide whether or not there would be medical treatment for that or whether we would let things take their course. And um, thankfully, I had worked on that course with Corey Perry, uh, thinking through some of those end-of-life decisions, and I knew my mother so well. And we had talked about so many things. I knew the right thing to do was to let the natural things take their course. Uh, but it was still a really hard thing to do. And some of my nieces and nephews objected. They, they were medical people, and, and they're young, and they were not very happy with, with my decision. And um, I just want to share with you a little piece of what I, I ended up writing to them. Um, this is a lot about um, why I decided it was right to let go. Uh, I explained her physical decline, which they knew about, but probably not even the most recent things. But then I said, spiritually, mom is dying, and she's dying uh, not in the real sense, but she's dying to this world. She's making a transition more and more into another realm of being and is happy there. And uh, this is true. Sometimes when I would get into her room late in the afternoon, um, I'd go so I could visit before I fed her. Uh, she would be lying in bed awake uh, and silently moving her lips like she was talking and she was gazing at something that I could not see and she was gesturing towards it and she looked really happy and sometimes I felt bad about interrupting her and pulling her attention to visit with me. Um, she was becoming more and more wordless and having difficulty just even focusing on things right in front of her. But she was always looking off and oftentimes would babble kind of words that didn't make sense, but the, the, the word dad would focus. Um, and I explained to them that I believe my mom was transitioning to heaven and preparing for it spiritually and looking forward to it. And it wasn't surprising to me because mom lived her whole life since a young woman with a strong confidence in the reality of the existence of a good and loving God who is our heavenly father and mother with a strong confidence in that God who is even on a greater scale and with infinitely more power um, than our earthly parents, and she experienced loving earthly parents. I believe she believed that her father was making her a heavenly home. She was ready to go and be there. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to kind of talk to my nieces and nephews about my mom's faith. If, knowing all of that, I had a difficult time still just letting go, it's a powerful reminder to me of how difficult it is for us as people and for us as a church to let go of things 
that aren't working anymore to move on to other things. And yet move on, God will make a way for us. Um, if you would um, uh, indulge me a second and pull out your black hymnal, you'll see a wonderful hymn there. It's called the, His Eyes on the Sparrow. It's 2146. We're not going to sing it because you guys don't all have it, but it's uh, based on a, a scripture where Jesus uh, says, you know, uh, two, two sparrows, you can, you can spend a penny and get two sparrows. They were very inexpensive, not well-regarded game creature in his day. Um, but I tell you, our Father knows and regards everything about them and cares for each one of them. And so that's the basis for this beautiful song. And um, in this song, uh, I found myself singing to my mom hymns in her last hour of life as we decided not to have the surgery. She died within a couple days. And in her last hour, we sang her into heaven. And this hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, I was looking right into her face and her eyes opened a little bit during this and stayed open because I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow. And she took her last breath, and I know he watches me. Sometimes you just have to let things die so something new can happen. And I believe that insight, I don't know what needs to die, but I do know that as we're in a time of unease and disrest and spiritual discontent, we need to remember that we can trust God, even when things have to die, that something new and good will come. This is our faith. God is infinitely creative and will not abandon us if we continue to seek his will and his way. And the second uh, thing I would just say from, from these scriptures uh, that we are asked to do, saying pay attention, seek the Lord, listen, watch, where is God working? Where do you feel fed spiritually? Where in your life are you sensing God's presence, God's leading, God's work? Where in your family? Where in your community? That's what we should lean into and listen to. I am my mother's daughter. I realized one thing. I realized she always thought she could take care of anything if God was in it. And I really should not have decided to preach today, but I didn't even think about that. I thought I could do it if God was in it. But I'm a person that likes to jump in and be active. And I think sometimes when the world is changing and there's spiritual disconnection and discontent, we are called to do the counterintuitive thing and not jump into action, but learn to focus more on listening, watching, and trusting that God is leading and will reveal. Now that doesn't give you a lot of clarity, but our clarity 
is supposed to just be in our trust for God. The word that comes forth from my mouth shall return to it, but not until it's accomplished that which I purpose. We can trust that God, whatever distress is going on in our denomination or in our families or in our church, God is still at work. Pay attention. Don't be afraid to let go of what God is done with because God's doing something new. May it be so.